If you've been here uh, regularly, or if you're part of Jubilee, you'll know we've been working through Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And we've been working through this, and this morning I'm just going to be doing a summary of Colossians and how do we respond to all this? What are some of the big themes, the big messages? And as I was, uh, as I was uh, just reading through it again and just uh, praying about it and, and looking at the book, uh, this was the one particular verse that came out to me uh, and just really kind of was impressed on me, uh, which I've got on the slide here, uh, so you don't need to find it, but it's in Colossians and it's uh, chapter 1 from verse 6. And it says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. So we've been working through Colossians. And just for a few stats people that are here, uh, there's four chapters in Colossians, 95 verses. We've taken 14 Sundays. Uh, and uh, this is particular for the people who are really into stats. I'm thinking about those into American football. Nev is into because I know, because he likes American football and likes all the stats. And Jonathan does as well, doesn't he? We've spent nine hours and 56 minutes preaching on <laughs> Colossians. That's true. So Colossians is a letter written by Paul. He probably hadn't visited the church, and uh, Colossae was in... Uh, Colossi is a, a, was a city in modern-day Turkey. Who's been to Turkey? Anyone been to Turkey? Anyone from Turkey? From? Who's been to Turkey? Yeah, lots of people have been to Turkey. This is where Colossi was. And uh, in summarising, uh, this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, some of the problems that Paul's addressing in this church, Paul's response to these... And what's our response? See, like any church, the church in Colossae had its problems. You know, you know the old joke, don't you, that they say, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. I'll ruin it. <laughs> See, take a look around. We're not perfect people, are we? No, we come with our weaknesses. We come with our failures. We come with our frailties. But we are people chosen by God, brought into his family, declared his, called to live together in community, called to affect Teesside and beyond. And so it's really important as we read the Bible, in fact, read any letter or read any part of the New Testament, that we understand that. It's not like, oh, oh, the early church was so perfect and uh, we've got so many problems in the 21st century. And equally, it's important that we don't say, oh, the early church had a load of problems, but we would never have those problems because we're far more intelligent and intellectual. But the church in Colossae did seem to have uh, two particular problems, and Paul is intent on sorting these out. But I love how he's so encouraging and so loving. He starts the, the letter saying, to the holy and faithful, those that are in Christ at Colossae, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. But at the same time, he really does want to sort out the issues and speak into the issues. And we're meant to learn from Paul's response, aren't we? It's been preserved in the Bible for us for a reason. So that we can learn from it. So that we can be built up by it. 
So what are those problems that Paul seems to be addressing in the Colossian church? The first one seems to be uh, false kind of teaching about the spiritual world. That there seems to be kind of this teaching coming out that there was the worship of angels. If you really want to experience God, perhaps you need to worship angels. Perhaps they're better. Forget about God, actually. Angels are more important. There were people saying that. There seemed to be this idea that there were greater spiritual forces than God. Just as powerful, even more powerful than him. Like two opposing sides battling it out and you don't know which one's going to win. It's a bit like, uh, Eric, stand up for me. It's a bit like a fight between Eric and Dennis. Can you stand up for me? It's a bit like, okay, two opposing sides, Eric and Dennis. And who's going to win? We don't know. It's kind of like, there's only one way to find out. But it's like, who's going to win? Who's going to win? We don't know. They're, they're battling, and sometimes one's winning, and sometimes the other's winning, but we just don't know. That's the idea. Sit down, thank you. That's, that's the idea that people had, that there was God on one side, but then there were these other spiritual forces as well, and we just don't know who's going to win. It's like a, a kind of equal battle. That's the idea they had. And then there seemed to be this wrong idea about how to live the Christian life. You know, if you really want to experience God... You need to follow certain rules. You need to follow certain rituals. Don't touch earthly things. Don't eat that type of stuff, because that'll pollute you. That'll hinder your experience of God. Don't do that. If you really want to know God, don't do these things. So what's Paul's response to the Colossians? He could have said, oh, well, we all have problems, don't we? Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Just keep going. It's fine. Just learn to live with them. As long as you're not hurting people, it's fine. But Paul does want to address the problems, doesn't he? Because, because what we think matters. We've said it already as we've gone through. What we think matters. Because Christianity isn't just simply a feeling, is it? It isn't something we'll just catch. A bit like, uh, say, uh, uh, Mike here's got uh, flu... Uh, you haven't, have you? Okay. Mike here's got flu, and if I, st- if, <laughs> if I spend enough time with him, perhaps it will rub off on me, perhaps I'll get the flu, and I'll just stand near him. And oh. Christianity isn't like that. It's not just something that's caught. You know, uh, listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a preacher from years ago, uh, said uh, the, problem, the problem with Christianity, he said, uh, we, uh, sorry, he said this about this verse that I've picked out. Uh, for us to look at. He said, do you know, we often have a saying that says Christianity is taught, is caught and not taught. Don't we? Have you heard that? Christianity is caught and not taught. He says the problem with that is that it's not true. It's not. We can, we can understand. Christianity is here for us to understand. Christianity is here for us to, to learn and understand truth. But at the same time, it's meant to be lived out It's meant to be something that affects our lives. It's meant to be, hey, we can pray for people this morning. Ask for Jesus to heal them. The risen Lord Jesus to heal them. We can do that because we know the truth. Because it affects our lives. Because of the gospel. Because of the good news of Jesus. We can pray with faith. For people to experience and understand afresh. And be healed in the name of Jesus. So it's meant to be something that's worked out 
in our lives. It's not just truth from a textbook. And Paul's view is this. A right view of Jesus will sort their issues out. When they see Jesus for who he is, they'll see the false teaching for what it is and that it's wrong. And that's the same for us as well. So I want to look at two things that Paul wants to get across to them in Colossians. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. See, for the Colossians, it was very much, can Jesus cope with all of the spiritual powers? Is he really, really a match for them? Can we know who the winner will be? It might be Jesus, it might not be. But for Paul, he's very, very clear. Jesus is Lord over all. He is God. He has disarmed powers and authorities, and he has triumphed over them on the cross. That's what he tells them. See, most false teaching wants to take away from the biblical Jesus, from who Jesus is. Most false teaching will have a go at Jesus and try and take away from who he is. Wants to make him less than God, less powerful. Miracles, no, he didn't do those. Uh, uh, Rising from the dead, oh no, he didn't do those. Wants to take away from who Jesus is. See, many people think lots of different things about Jesus today, don't they? He was just a prophet. He was just a good teacher. He was a very charismatic leader. But that's it. Actually, it doesn't really matter what you think about Jesus anyway. The Bible says something totally different. And Colossians says something totally different as well. So if you look at Jesus, his words, his actions, we see Jesus said, you know, if you, I can forgive your sins. Do you know, only God can forgive sins. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, look, hey, I'm God in flesh. I can forgive your sins. Only God can do this. He lets Thomas, one of his followers, call him my Lord and my God. And you know, he doesn't tell him off for that. Actually, he welcomes it. He has an argument with the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, about if he'd seen Abraham. And they say, you can't have seen Abraham. You're, only, you're not yet even 50 years old. How can you have known Abraham? He was thousands of years ago. And uh, Jesus could have said, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I was. And that might have solved, that might have put them in their place. But what does Jesus do? He turns up the heat on it. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am. One of the names of God in the Old Testament. You know, when Moses, when, when Moses, God meets Moses, and Moses says to him, what, what, shall I, what shall I say to the Israelites? Who sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. And so what's Jesus doing? Jesus is really turning up the heat. And they know it as well. They pick up some stones and they're going to stone him. They are not impressed. They know what he's saying. They know who he is saying he is. See, a view that reduces Jesus to less than God, less than someone else, less than someone who is really in charge, will affect our lives. For example, it will often lead to fear. God's not in charge, if Jesus is not in charge, I'm in trouble. I need to fear. See, often we can fear, can Jesus really cope with my situations? 
And when people are fearful, they'll look for any other way to stay in control of the situation. It's interesting reading this is just this week about a famous music pop star who uh, was check- who's employed some astrology people to check her stars, to check her stars to see if it's the right time to go on a big world tour. Because, hey, if the stars are out, her tour might go wrong. Ridiculous. But do you know, there are millions of people who won't do anything until they've checked their stars. Maybe you know people, friends of yours, who check their stars, that want to know, if there's no God in control, hopefully the stars are in control of my life. Here's a helpful illustration, I hope. When uh, Jodie and I were getting married, uh, Jodie had to do a, a year placement as she graduated somewhere in the northeast. We were living in Newcastle at the time, and uh, you know, I wanted to stay in Newcastle. I love Newcastle, it's great. I'd lived there for a long time. But I was fearful. What was I fearful of? If we don't stay in Newcastle, if Jodie gets a placement, somewhere else is God in control what if I miss what God has for me and I end up in somewhere else and is God in charge and so she gets a placement in red car sorry Sarah and Craig I know you're in America is that red car God are you in control are you in charge <laughs> what was it it was fear I was fearful is God really in control And some friends came and spoke to us and they said, you know, we know a church down in Teesside. In fact, we think you would love Teesside. Why don't you consider not just commuting there, but living there? And so we came down, we visited and we loved it. And I can genuinely say, there's nowhere else I would want to be than Teesside. I can genuinely say that. I love it. And God certainly is in control of our lives. So he's able to cope with what you're going through right now. He's able to cope with your future. And not just cope, the Bible says he's able to make all things work for the good of those who love him. We might not all see all the reasons, but hey, do you know he is? What, I wonder what you're going through right now. I wonder what difficulties or situations or what you're facing for your future. Do you know? He's in control. He's in charge. And he's the God that's with you. I love that song we sang this morning that says, um, uh, forever, uh, uh, forever you're, you're strong, forever you're faithful. Sorry, forever you're faithful, forever you're strong, and forever you're with us. I think, yeah, he's faithful. He's in control. And at the same time, he's with us. He's with me. He's with you. So, to have a right view of Jesus, but also this. Paul wanted the church to have a right view of what Jesus had done. He said, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. The gospel, it can sound a bit of religious words sometimes, can't it? But basically it just means announcement, news, this good news, this announcement. What is this announcement of Christianity? It's the message that Jesus came preaching and teaching. In fact, it is Jesus himself. It's God's plan of rescue for men and women. The good news of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. It's the news that God is in charge. 
So what's Paul saying? Forget, he's saying, forget angel worship. Forget all that stuff. Forget, is Jesus in charge or not? Because he is. Forget trying to do other things to try and win God's approval. The gospel is all you need in life. He is enough. See, we can sometimes think the gospel is just, oh, it's just about, the gospel is just loving everyone. God says, love everyone. And God loves everyone. That's just the gospel. Or we could say, the gospel is just, hey, have you got a problem? Jesus can help you out with your problem. Or the gospel is just, now, here's a good way to live. Now just do your best. And uh, hopefully God will, will say you've done okay at the end of your life. No, no, the gospel is this. God is making a people for himself. But in our disobedience, we can't impress God. We can't earn our way into his people. But he entered the world, came as a God-man, and in Jesus lived a perfect life, and died a death paying for our sins, for our disobedience, but was raised to life. And actually, we have new life if we accept his payment on the cross for us. And because of this, because of this, we are able to live new lives. Because of this, the Holy Spirit comes to us and empowers us that we can live differently in our lives. This gospel is awesome. It's amazing. We don't have to add anything to it. See, we want to do something, don't we? I want to add something to it. I want to say, I had a part in it. We don't. It's undeserved grace. See, if we try and add things to it, say, oh, I want to play my part, I want to, I want to do what I can do, I want to add special rules to my Christian life, then maybe God will love me, and then uh, I'll be able to impress God. Actually, that just makes us competitive, because I want to be better, I want to be better than Jody. I want to wake up earlier than Jody to uh, pray, because God will be more impressed with me. Oh, if I read my Bible more than Mike, then God will be impressed with me. Oh, it makes us competitive. It's awful. It looks good, but there's nothing behind it. See, the grace of God is this. God is well pleased with you. And we can genuinely build each other up because we're together. And we can be without fear. See, the grace of God is effective in our lives as well. It says in Titus, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and teaches us to say no to ungodliness. See, grace teaches us, teaches us how to live, teaches us to be who we've become. See, when we try and confine the gospel to just, it's just about when I get to heaven, it's just about a ticket to heaven, and that's all the gospel is, as long as I get to heaven, that's fine, and that's all the gospel is. And then we try and live out life on our own, we find we get disappointed. And we live disappointed lives. Do you know the joy of the gospel, the joy of the Christian life, is working it out in our lives. Working it out. In our, we've been given this amazing gospel. We've been given this glorious freedom. And we can work it out day by day in our lives. And see God at work day by day in our lives. And sometimes we'll get it wrong, but God will pick us up again. Because he's full of grace. 
It's the gospel we need for life. It's the gospel we need for life. I was thinking of, uh, Paul was talking about technology last week, if you were here, and uh, it got me thinking about technology a little bit. I'm a child of the 80s, so I remember our first video recorder was kind of this big, and uh, we had a remote control on our first video recorder, but it was a remote control on a lead. So you had this little remote control on a lead from the video recorder. Oh, if you could sit down, I can change, I can fast forward, I can pause. But it was on a lead. It's ridiculous. Things move on, don't they? Technology changes. Even, people, even nowadays, so I've heard, can have every movie they want in their living room because they've got Sky, they've got Sky movies and that's got all stuff on and they've got a box that can stream things and they're... They're on the internet and they can download any movie they want. And they've got it all. And uh, they, they can watch anything. They've got it all. It's there. They don't need to go out. They've got it all in there. And yet, sometimes, perhaps, perhaps you just think, oh, I fancy going down to HMV and just looking through the, the DVDs and perhaps picking, picking one out and buying it maybe. Or I'll just go to Blockbuster and... Uh, I don't, I don't want to watch any of the things. I don't want to download a movie. I just want to go to Blockbuster and, and pick out a DVD. See, the point of that illustration is this. The, in the Gospel, we have everything. Like the technology that means we, we've got everything in the Gospel. It's all there. Yet sometimes, we try and find life outside of it. And we try and find life down at Blockbuster. Or whatever it might be. Whatever the illustrative equivalent is. Oh, but I'm just going to try and find life this way. No, no, life is in the gospel. All you need for life and godliness is found in Christ. You have it all. Okay. See, Paul uses some examples in Colossians about how the gospel changes our lives and how we work it out in our lives. He talks about family life. He says, husbands, wives, love each other. He, sa- he, says, um, he says, husbands, just love your wives. And how does the Bible tell husbands to love their wives? Like Christ loved the church. See, it's the gospel. How do you love your wife? It's the empowering truth of the gospel that enables you to love in a marriage. How about children? Let me talk to the youth for a minute. Colossians talks about children obeying their parents. Children, obey your parents. Do you know? It doesn't say obey your parents, because the Bible doesn't say obey your parents or else you'll get it. Obey your parents, just, just because I say so, which is sometimes what we say to our kids. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, if you want to see what it means to obey your parents. Look at Jesus. Look at the son who obeyed perfectly his father. Not out of fear, not out of worry, but out of love. Totally obedient. In fact, so obedient he went to the cross in obedience to his father. So that you and I could have life 
and life to the full. And do you know, it's that empowering life that enables you to say, do you know, I am going to obey my parents. You know, I don't always think they're right, but I'm going to obey them. I'm going to obey them because I know they want the best for me. I know they love me. I know they're for me. And actually, in my obeying them, I'm reflecting the gospel. I'm reflecting something of Jesus. See, it's very different, isn't it? It's very different to just obey or else you'll get it. How about relationships with one another? Paul talks about this in Colossians as well. The gospel means we're no longer separated by the divisions of the world. Oh, they're different to me. They are from a different nationality. They're from a different background. Therefore, I don't need to relate to them. I don't want to relate to them. Do you know that is rubbish in the gospel? In Christ, what does Paul say in Colossians? Here, in Christ he means, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We're a new community and we live out this new community in the light of the gospel and who Jesus is. See, the gospel works. We don't need smart ideas. We don't need clever ways to present Jesus, uh, to present uh, Christianity. We need the gospel. And the gospel works. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So, finally, we're doing well. How should we respond to all this? Are you looking for other things other than Jesus to satisfy you in life? Does the gospel satisfy you? Does it, are you putting your hope in it for life? Or are you just like that example saying, well, I know there's Jesus, I know there's all he's done for me, but you know, I'm going to find life down at Blockbusters. Well, I'm going to find life here. I'm going to try and live my life that way, outside of Jesus. Do you know the gospel is your hope? See, we've been called to live in a life and a life worthy of all Jesus has called us to. But are you living it in the light of the gospel, in the light of this grace? Or are you doing it out of fear and not out of love? I want to uh, issue you with a challenge this week as we finish Colossians. Okay? This is the challenge this week. I want you, as we've read through Colossians, as we work through Colossians, I want you to perhaps this week, perhaps tonight when you get home, read, read, find something in Colossians, perhaps that's spoken to you as we've gone through, and I want you to think on it. I want you this week to pray about it. I want you this week to just let it dwell in who you are. And if you need some help, uh, I can help you, because I've just written some down here. This is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why don't you use that this week just to think about it, pray about it. How about this one? Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Colossians 2.6. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. I'm going to do this as well. I'm going to find perhaps something that's spoken to me this 
series of Colossians in the book and uh, just think on it, pray on it this week. How do I apply this to my life? How do I get all, of, all that Jesus wants from me, from this, and for me? Or maybe this, maybe this is your response to this morning. Maybe you've never chosen to accept what Jesus has done for you. Maybe as I've been talking about how Jesus is your hope, how about Jesus can be your life. Jesus wants to enter your life. Jesus wants to impact and affect your life, give you hope, give you grace. Perhaps you've never done that in life. Perhaps you've never, ever taken that decision. You can do it today. And as we sing our final song, I want you to, perhaps, if that's you, make that decision. Say, yep, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to choose to respond to you this morning. And you can do that. Why don't you come and speak to us afterwards? It'd be great to talk to you and be able to pray with you. But as the band come up, um, we're going to respond and sing. But I just want to pray for us as well, just before we sing. Why don't we all stand? Let's, let's come before God for a moment before we respond in worship. Hmm. Jesus. Jesus, thank you. Thank you you're alive today. Thank you we don't worship just a charismatic leader, a dead prophet, just a good teacher. (laughs) But we worship the risen Lord Jesus who is alive today and present here with us by the Spirit. And I want to pray for us. I want to pray that as we do life, as we live to all you've called us to live, we would do it in the light of the gospel, in the truth of who you are and who you've made us. Not out of fear, not out of trying to earn your love, but because of your grace, because you're for us, because your spirit comes and empowers us, because we're yours and you call us to great things. So I want to pray for anyone who's facing situations and you think, what's the answer to this? How do I cope with this? Do you know the answer is the gospel? It's Jesus. And he comes to you and he empowers you. And he says, don't you see, I died on a cross so that you could have life (laughs) and so that you could know the Father. Perhaps if that's you, if you know you're facing things and you know, I want to know Jesus is with me. I want to live in that truth. I want to just sense the Spirit with me as I face those situations. I want to know that He is my only hope. Perhaps in this song, as we sing, just say, God, that's my prayer. That's my call. That's my uh, prayer to you this morning as we sing and worship together. And as we sing, the offering buckets will go round. If you're a guest, we're not particularly after your money, but 
and you're very, very welcome to give in. But let's let those offering buckets go round as we sing and respond in worship together. But it's 